Chapter Fifty Three of Arema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. Arema by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Fifty Three. Bruntsea Defiant. Thus, at last, by no direct exertion of my own but by turn after turn of things to which i blindly gave my little help the mystery of my life was solved many things yet remained to be fetched up to focus and seen round but the point of points was settled of all concerned my father alone stood blameless and heroic what tears of shame and pride i shed for having ever doubted him not doubting his innocence of the crime itself but his motives for taking it upon him i had been mean enough to dream that my dear father outraged justice to conceal his own base birth that ever such thought should have entered my mind may not make me charitable to the wicked thoughts of the world at large but at any rate it ought to do so and the man in question mine own father who had starved himself to save me better i had been the most illegal child ever issued into this cold world than dare to think of my father so and then find him the model of everything to hide the perjury avarice and cowardice of his father and to appease the bitter wrong he had even bowed to take the dark suspicion on himself until his wronged and half-sane brother to whom moreover he owed his life should have time to fly from england no doubt he blamed himself as much as he condemned the wretched criminal because he had left his father so long unwarned and so unguarded and had thoughtlessly used light words about him which fell not lightly on a stern, distempered mind. Hence, perhaps, the exclamation which had told against him so. And then when he broke jail, which also told against him terribly, to revisit his shattered home, it is likely enough that he meant after that to declare the truth, and stand his trial as a man should do. But his wife, perhaps in her poor weak state, could not endure the thought of it, knowing how often jury is injury, and seeing all the weight against him. She naturally pledged him to pursue his flight for her sake, until she could be better able to endure his trial, and until he should have more than his own pure word and character to show. And probably, if he had then been tried, with so many things against him, and no production of that poor brother, his tale would have seemed but flimsy invention, and guilty would have been the verdict. And they could not know that in such a case the guilty man would have come forward, as we shall see that he meant to do. When my father heard of his dear wife's death, and believed no doubt that I was buried with the rest, the gloom of a broken and faded man like polar night settled down on him what matter to him about public opinion or anything else in the world just now the sins of his father were on his head let them rest there rather than be trumpeted by him 
he had nothing to care for let him wander about and so he did for several years until i became a treasure to him for parental is not intrinsic value and then for my sake as now appeared he betook us both to a large kind land resolving these things sadly and a great many more which need not be told i thought it my duty to go as soon as possible to bruntsea and tell my good and faithful friends what i was loath to write about there moreover i could obtain what i wanted to confirm me the opinion of an upright law-abiding honorable man about the course i proposed to take and there i might hear something more as to a thing which had troubled me much in the deepest of my own troubles the melancholy plight of dear uncle sam wild and absurd as it may appear to people of no gratitude my heart was set upon faring forth in search of the noble sawyer if only it could be reconciled with my duty here in england that such a proceeding would avail but little seemed now alas too manifest but a plea of that kind generally means that we have no mind to do a thing be that as it will i made what my dear yankees to use the major's impertinent phrase call straight tracks for that ancient and obsolete town rejuvenized now by its seigneur the cause of my good friend's silence not to use that affected word reticence was quite unknown to me and disturbed my spirit with futile guesses resolute therefore to pierce the bottom of every surviving mystery i made claim upon mr stixon junior as stixon's boy had now vindicated his right to be called up to supper-time and he with high chivalry responded not yet was he wedded to miss polly hopkins the daughter of the pickled pork man otherwise would he or could he have made telegraphic blush at the word bruntsea and would he have been quite so eager to come such things are trifling compared to our own which naturally fill the universe i was bound to be a great lady now and patronize and regulate and drill all the doings of nature so i durst not even ask though desiring much to do so how young mr stixon was getting on with his delightful polly and his father as soon as he found me turned into the mistress and quote, his lady unquote, as he would have me called thenceforth whether or no on my part not another word would he tell me of the household sentiments politics or romances it would have been thought a thing beneath me to put any nice little questions now and i was obliged to take up the tone which others used toward me but all the while I longed for freedom, Uncle Sam, Suat Isco, and even Martin of the Mill. Law business, however, and other hindrances, kept me from starting at once for Bruntsea, impatient as I was to do so. Indeed, it was not until the morning of the last Saturday in November that I was able to get away. The weather had turned to too much rain, I remember, with two or three tempestuous nights and the woods were almost bare of leaves and the thames looked brown and violent 
In the fly from Newport to Bruntsea I heard great rollers thundering heavily upon the steep bar of shingle, and such a lake of water shone in the old bed of the river that I quite believed at first that the Major had carried out his grand idea and brought the river back again. But the flyman shook his head and looked very serious and told me that he feared bad times were coming. What I saw was the work of the Lord in heaven, and no man could prevail against it. He had always said, through no concern of his, for he belonged to Newport, that even a British officer could not fly in the face of the Lord Almighty. He himself had a brother on the works, regular employed and drawing good money, and proud enough about it, and the times he had told him across a pint of ale, howsomever, our place was to hope for the best. But the top of the springs was not come yet, and a pilot out of Newport told him the water was making uncommon strong. But he did hope the wind had nigh blowed itself out. If not, they would have to look blessed sharp to-morrow. He had heard say that in time of Queen Elizabeth's sixth score of houses was washed clean away, and the river itself knocked right into the sea, and a thing as had been done once might just come to pass again. Though folk was all so clever now, they thought they were above it. But, for all that, their grandfather's goggles might fit them. But here we was in Bruntsea Town, and, bless his old eyes, yes, if I pleased to look along his whip, I might see ancient Pilot come. He did believe to warn of them. Following his guidance, I descried a stout old man in a sailor's dress, weatherproof hat and long boots, standing on a low sea-wall, and holding vehement converse with some Bruntsea boatmen and fishermen who were sprawling on the stones as usual. Driver! You know him. Take the lower road, I said, and ask what his opinion is. No need to ask him, the flyman answered. Old Banks would never be here, miss, if he was of two opinions. He hath come to fetch his daughter out of harm. I doubt the wife of that there Bishop Jim, they call him, the chap with two nails to his thumb, you know. Would you like to hear how they all take it, miss? With these words he turned to the right and drove into Major Hawkins' quote, sea parade, unquote. There we stopped to hear what was going on, and it proved to be well worth our attention. The old pilot perhaps had exhausted reason, and now was beginning to give way to wrath. The afternoon was deepening fast, with heavy gray clouds lowering, showing no definite edge, but streaked with hazy lines and spotted by some little murky blurs or blots like tar-pots carried slowly hath noah's ark ever told a lie the ancient pilot shouted pointing with one hand at these and with clenched fist at the sea from whence came puffs of sullen air and turned his gray locks backward mackerel sky when the sun got up mermaidens eggs at noon and now afore sunset Noah's arks, any of them breweth a gale of wind, and the three of them bodes a tempest at the top of the springs of the year to-morrow. Are ye daft, or all gone abun the spree, my men? 
Your fathers would a knowed what the new moon meant. Is this all that cometh out a larnin' to read? Have a pinch of back, old man, said one, to help your off with that stiff reel. What consarn can it be a yorn? Don't you be put out, mate, cried another. Never came sea as could top that bar, and never will in our time. Go and caulk your old leaky craft, Master Banks. We have rode out a good many gales without seeking profit from Newport, a place never heerd on when this old town was made. Come and wet your old whistle at the hockin' arms, Banks. You must want it after that long pipe. Hawkin arms indeed, the pilot answered, turning away in a rage from them. What hawkin arms will there be this time tomorrow? Hawkin legs wanted more likely, and hawkin wings. And you poor grinnin' ninnies, as ought to have four legs, ye'll be prayin' that ye had em tomorrow. However, ye've had warnin', and ye can't blame me. The power of the Lord is in the air and the sea. Is this the sort of stuff ye trust in? He set one foot against our major's wall, an action scarcely honest while it was so green, and coming from a hale and very thick-set man, the contemptuous push sent out a fathom of it outward. Rattle, rattle went the new patent concrete, starting up the lazy pated fellows down below. "'You'll try the walls of a jail,' cried one. "'You'll go to Noah's Ark,' shouted another. The rest bade him go to a place much worse. But he buttoned his jacket in disdain and marched away, without spoiling the effect by any more weak words. "'Right you are,' cried my flyman. "'Right you are, Master Banks. Them lubbers will sing another song tomorrow. Gee up, old hoss, then.' All this and the ominous scowl of the sky and the menacing war of the sea, already crowding with black rollers, disturbed me so that I could say nothing, until, at the corner of the grand new hotel, we met Major Hawkin himself, attired in a workman's loose jacket and carrying a shovel. He was covered with mud and dried flakes of froth, and even his short white whiskers were encrusted with sparkles of brine. But his face was ruddy and smiling, and his manner as hearty as ever. "'You here, Erema? Oh, beg pardon, Baroness Castlewood, if you please. My dear, again I congratulate you.' "'You have as little cause to do that, as I fear I can find in your case. You have no news for me from America? How sad! But what a poor plight you yourself are in!' "'Not a bit of it.' At first sight you might think so, and we certainly have had a very busy time. Send back the fly. Leave your bag at our hotel. Porter, be quick with Lady Castlewood's luggage. One piece of luck befalls me, to receive so often this beautiful hand. What a lot of young fellows now would die of envy. I am glad that you can still talk nonsense, I said for I truly was frightened at this great lake, and so many of your houses even standing in the water. It will do them good. It will settle the foundations and crystallize the mortar. They will look twice as well when they come out again, and never have rats or black beetles. We were foolish enough to be frightened at first, and there may have been a danger a fortnight ago. 
but since that tide we have worked day and night and everything is now so stable that fear is simply ridiculous on the whole it has been a most excellent thing quite the making in fact of bruntsea then bruntsea must be made of water i replied gazing sadly at the gulf which parted us from the sea parade the lyceum the baths the bastion promenade and so on beyond all which the streaky turmoil and misty scud of the waves were seen made of beer more likely he retorted with a laugh if my fellows work like horses which they did they also drank like fishes their mouths were so dry with the pickle they said but the total abstainers were the worst being out of practice with the can however let us make no complaints we ought to be truly thankful and i shall miss the exercise that is why you have heard so little from me you see the position at a glance i never have been to paris at all erema i have not rubbed up against parlez-vous with a blast from mr bellows i was stopped by a telegram about this job at cryor ilium i had some latin once quite enough for the house of commons but it all oozed out at my elbows and two ladies by some superstition it is rude though they treat us to bad french enough never mind what i want to say is this that i have done nothing but respected your sad trouble for you took a wild fancy to that poor bedridden who never did you a stroke of good except about cosmopolitan jack and whose removal has come at the very nick of time for what could you have done for money with the yankees cutting each other's throats and your nugget quite sure to be annexed or at the very best squared up in greenbacks you ought not to speak so major hawkin if all of your plans were not under water i should be quite put out with you my cousin was not bedridden neither was he at all incapable as you have called him once or twice he was an infinitely superior man to to what one generally sees and when you have heard what i have to tell in his place you would have done just as he did and as for money and happy release as the people who never want it for themselves express it such words simply sicken me at great times they are so sordid what is there in this world that is not sordid to the young in one sense and to the old in another major hockin so seldom spoke in this didactic way and i was so unable to make it out that having expected some tiff on his part at my juvenile arrogance i was just in the mould for a deep impression from sudden stamp of philosophy i had nothing to say in reply and he went up in my opinion greatly he knew it and he said with touching kindness erema come and see your dear aunt mary she has had an attack of rheumatic gout in her thimble finger and her maids have worried her out of her life and by far the most brilliant of her cocks worth twenty pounds they tell me breathed his last on sunday night with gapes or croup or something that is why you have not heard again from her i have been in trenches day and night stoning out the sea with his own stones by a new form of concrete discovered by myself 
and unless i am very much mistaken in fact i do not hesitate to say but such things are not in your line at all let us go up to the house our job is done and i think master neptune may pound the way in vain i have got a new range in the kitchen now partly of my own invention you can roast or bake or steam or stew or frizzle kebabs all by turning a screw and not only that but you can keep things hot piping hot and ripening as it were better than when they were first done instead of any burned iron taste or scum on the gravy or clottiness they mellow by waiting and make their own sauce if ever i have time i shall patent this invention why you may burn brick dust in it bath brick hearthstone or potsherds at any hour of the day or night while the sea is in this condition i may only want my dinner so there we have it we say grace immediately and down we sit let us not take it by surprise if it can be taken so up through my chief drive instanter i think that i scarcely have felt more hungry the thought of that range always sets me off and one of its countless beauties is the noble juicy fragrance major hawkins certainly possessed the art so meritorious in a host of making people hungry and we mounted the hill with alacrity after passing his letter-box which reminded me of the mysterious lady he pointed to quote, desolate hole unquote, as he called it and said that he believed she was still there though she never came out now to watch their house and a man of dark and repelling aspect had been seen once or twice by his workmen during the time of their night relays rapidly walking toward desolate hole how any one could live in such a place with the roar and the spray of the sea as it had been at the very door and through the windows some people might understand but not the major good mrs hockin received me with her usual warmth and kindness and scolded me for having failed to write more to her as all people seem to do when conscious of having neglected that duty themselves then she showed me her thimble finger which certainly was a little swollen and then she poured forth her gratitude for her many blessings as she always did after any little piece of grumbling and i told her that if at her age i were only as quarter as pleasant and sweet of temper i should consider myself a blessing to any man after dinner my host produced the locket which he had kept for the purpose of showing it to the artist's son in paris and which he admired so intensely that i wish it were mine to bestow upon him then i told him that through a thing wholly unexpected the confession of the criminal himself no journey to paris was needed for now i repeated that strange and gloomy tale to the loud accompaniment of a rising wind and roaring sea while both my friends listened intently now what could have led him to come to you they asked and what do you mean to do about it he came to me no doubt to propose some bargain which could not be made in my cousin's lifetime but the telling of his tale made him feel so strange that he really could not remember what it was as to what i am to do i must beg for your opinion 
such a case is beyond my decision mrs hockin began to reply but stopped looking dutifully at her lord there is no doubt what you are bound to do at least in one way the major said you are a british subject i suppose and you must obey the laws of the country a man has confessed to you a murder no matter whether it was committed twenty years ago or two minutes no matter whether it was savage cold-blooded premeditated crime or whether there were things to palliate it your course is the same you must hand him over in fact you ought never to have let him go how could i help it i pleaded with surprise it was impossible for me to hold him then you should have shot him with his own pistol he offered it to you you should have grasped it pointed at his heart and told him that he was a dead man if he stirred aunt mary would you have done that i asked is it so easy to talk of fine things but in the first place i had no wish to stop him and in the next i could not if i had my dear mrs hockin replied perceiving my distress at this view of the subject i should have done exactly what you did if the laws of this country ordain that women are to carry them out against great strong men who after all have been sadly injured why it proves that women ought to make the laws which to my mind is simply ridiculous End of chapter 53